Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees and on each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And on this episode we are going to explore the eerie tales and legends attached to a supposedly haunted house in the west of Wales, which include repeated sightings of a severed hand. A severed hand, or at least a hand which is no longer attached to a body. A disembodied hand, as it were. And you could almost say that this is the real-life version of Thing from the Adams family. So maybe it wasn't all in Charles Adams's imagination. There really are disembodied hands running around out there. Well, there was in this case anyway, if you choose to believe the story. And of course, this story does take place in Wales, not in Cemetery Lane, in whatever lovely little part of America the Adams family lived in. Now, this tale, or tales, there are several accounts in this episode, these tales come courtesy of a a writer, a researcher, I have long wanted to include on this podcast, and for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened until now. But now that she's making an appearance, I would like this to become a regular, or at least a semi-regular feature. But this is going to be the first case that we look at, recorded by a lady called... Mary L. Lewes. Mary L. Lewes. And Mary L. Lewes is best known for her contributions to a magazine called The Occult Review in the first half of the 20th century. It was published between 1905 and 1951. As the name suggests, it was full of occulty type stuff. The Occult Review really did include the most well-known writers on the occult at the time, including a certain man called Alistair Crowley. And if the great beast himself is writing for your publication, that's probably about as good a stamp of approval in the occult world that you're going to get. And for our purposes, for the purposes of this this episode, this podcast, the reason we are looking at Lewes in particular is because she contributed a huge amount of material relating to weird and wonderful events taking place in Wales. I guess you could almost call her the Occult Review's Welsh correspondent of sorts. And while she didn't write exclusively on Welsh subjects, and we will touch upon some of her other tales which do take place elsewhere in the British Isles on later episodes, in this one we are going to head west, pretty much as far west as you can go without falling into the Irish Sea, really, to a place that she calls Plas Gwyn. Plas Gwyn, which she does tell us is not its real name. She is trying to disguise its location, but it doesn't take much detective work to work out roughly where she's talking about. Now, Plas Gwyn, to begin with, that name means White Mansion in Welsh. So it's a White Mansion, and we know this is roughly somewhere in the St. David's area of 
Pembrokeshire, the lovely city of St. David's, right over on the west coast of Wales. And to begin this tale, to begin at the beginning, what I'd like to do is to read her description of the place, which might help any budding detectives out there pinpoint exactly where this place is. And if you do, please get in touch with me and let me know. But I'll describe where it is in her words and also describe the building itself, which does set the scene nicely for what is quite a creepy little M.R. James-style ghost story. Although, of course, in this case, a real-life, a supposedly real-life ghost story. And to quote Lewes, she tells us that in one of the most remote parts of South Wales, there stands on a low cliff that is washed by the waters of a certain bay in St. George's Channel, a very curious old house which we will call Plas Gwyn. Inside, one finds walls many feet in thickness, dark panelled rooms with enormous cupboards, and a beautiful oak staircase, its shallow, uneven steps polished by the feet of many generations. So already we can tell this is a remote, windswept location, and it already feels like a classic ghost story just from those opening lines letting us know that generations after generation of people have treaded those steps, have dwelt within this house. And we probably don't need Lewis to spell it out for us, really. We've already guessed there's probably something spooky inside. But she says, of course, there is a ghost story, too. And one possessing an element of picturesqueness, its origin dating far back to the days when smuggling was considered by quite respectable people as a useful means of increasing their income in a gentlemanly manner. So we are going back to a time when smuggling was not quite frowned upon as it is nowadays. And never mind M.R. James, this is now feeling a little bit Jamaica Inn to me. That wonderful inn and supposedly haunted inn in Cornwall. And of course, a wonderful book by Daphne du Maurier and a wonderful film by Alfred Hitchcock. And if you haven't read the book, if you haven't seen the film, if you haven't visited the place itself... I would recommend all three, maybe make a weekend of it, two of them all together, because the place is supposedly one of the, in inverted commas, most haunted places in the UK, certainly in Cornwall. And talking about Cornwall, talking about Kerno, some of the mysterious creatures living deep underground there will be making a fleeting appearance on the next episode of this podcast. But... For now, let us return to the windswept shores of the west of Wales. Let's go back to this house where smuggling was not entirely frowned upon and where there were ghostly goings-on within. And Lewis does stress that simply by standing in this location, your imagination could run wild. The waves are smashing against the rocks and there are little coves dotted around the place which could quite easily and probably did conceal contraband goods 
over the years. Who knows what was brought in and what was taken out. Maybe, maybe it continues to this day. But her interest was piqued in this particular location with a tale about the location told to her just a few years before she wrote the article I am referencing. So this would have been sometime in the early 1900s. And that is the tale we will look at now, or incident, as she calls it. We'll take a look at the incident, and then we'll look at the legend afterwards and compare the two of them to see how closely they relate to each other. But first of all, this incident took place one day when two maid servants went to do some work in the largest bedroom, which was always used as a visitor's room. They quickly came downstairs again with white faces and trembling knees. They had a strange tale to tell. They declared that in that room, that large visitor's bedroom, floating in the air near the bed, they had seen what appeared to be a human hand and wrist bleeding as if just severed from an arm, the fingers of the hand covered with splendid rings. Horribly frightened, the two maids did not look at the apparition, but fled downstairs as fast as they could. However, so convinced were they both of the reality of the thing, good choice of words there, but the thing that neither could ever be induced to enter the room alone as long as they remained in the house, and one, at least, was in the service of the family for some years. So, that escalated quickly. There's quite a lot going on there. Let's pause for a moment and unpack that. And, as mentioned, this is what piqued Luz's interest in this place, and I think it's quite easy to see why being told a tale like this would indeed pique your interest. But let us zone in on this apparition in particular, which was floating in the room. Because while I, I joked and described it and compared it to the Adams family's thing earlier, well, one big difference, I think, between the thing and the... the well, not, not, not the thing, just, just thing. This isn't the thing. It's not a John Carpenter film. It's not... Uh, <laughs> it's not clobbering time. We're not talking about the Fantastic Fours thing. But just Thing, the big difference, I think, between this apparition and Thing as we see in the Adams family is that, of course, this severed hand had blood pouring out of it. Just to make the scene extra gruesome, extra grisly, there is blood pouring out of this hand. It is also covered in rings, which is something we don't see ordinarily with thing in the Adams family. And also, they maintained for the rest of their time working there, which we are led to believe was for quite some time, they would not go back in alone again. If this was one big joke, they certainly kept it going for, for years, for, for, for decades maybe, as far as I know. But this was far from an isolated incident. As mentioned at the start, there are lots of little tales, lots of little elements to this case which build up to quite a fascinating picture. But before we look at those, let us look at the legend itself first. And to quote Lewis again, she tells us that long ago, a strange lady of great wealth 
once stayed there, once stayed in Plasquin, and for reasons now unknown, her hosts went away, leaving her alone one night. Alone, presumably, in that large visitor's bedroom. Feeling solitary and remembering with alarm tales she had heard of the lawless doings of smugglers known to frequent the coast, she went early to her room and tried to sleep. Well grounded indeed were her fears, for in the middle of the night, she was aroused by loud knocking at her door and rough voices demanding admittance. Terrified, the lady tried to hold the door, but in vain. It gave way beneath violent blows, and her arm, thrust forward in feeble resistance, was seized and held. I imagine you are all one step ahead of the tale at this point, but she's trying to keep this door closed. She's trying to keep what she assumes are are vicious smugglers outside. She can't do it. And to continue the tale, unfortunately, she had forgotten to remove her rings, of which she wore many of great size and brilliance. And the sight of the jewels so excited the greedy robbers, that they immediately tried to pull them off. Now, there's an important lesson coming up, because if you are going to fight off robbers, don't show them the jewels, because they fitted the fingers so tightly that they would not move. They could not get the rings off using brute strength. Accordingly, we are told, instead, the ruffians determined to have possession of them, ruthlessly chopped off, yes, chopped off the poor woman's hand and wrist, immediately afterwards decamping with their dreadful booty. They had their dreadful booty and off they scarpered. And as a result, this legend now tells us that ever since that night runs the tale Those who have the gift, in inverted commas, by gift this means people, I assume, who can commune with spirits, just maybe just see spirits, but those who have the gift may sometimes see the jewel-covered hand hovering over the bed in the room, once occupied by the ill-fated lady. So that is the legend which has long been attached to this place we are calling Plas Gwyn, which ties in very nicely, almost too conveniently, to the tale told by the two maids which was related to our narrator to Luz. And there's more. Because this spectral hand isn't the only uncanny thing to be seen there because she collected more what she calls local rumours. But if these local rumours are correct, then the spirit of somebody called Old Brown, O-L-D, old as in not young, and and brown as in the colour, Old Brown, a former owner of the property, who is, we are told, a person of much character, 
whether good or bad matters not. Now, I personally, I think it does matter, but of much character, possibly good character, possibly bad, but there was much of it. And they had been seen, and th- this is quite a bizarre one, even, even for this podcast, this is quite a bizarre one, but they have been seen in a ball of fire rolling down the staircase into the hall at midnight. So, Old Brown, presumably as some kind of ghostly apparition figure, has been seen inside a ball of fire which rolls down the staircase into the hall at midnight. I mean, that, that's got to be one heck of a big ball of fire. I mean, it, it must be larger than, than a human, at least. But Lewis isn't overly convinced by this tale, as I imagine most people listening to this aren't overly convinced either. And she says she has never met anyone who has witnessed this somewhat alarming phenomena. I mean, if, if you saw it, it certainly would be alarming. But she has not met anyone to actually witness it themselves but it was related to her by what she calls an old inhabitant of the neighborhood so unlike the earlier account the earlier incident which she could verify in some way the tale of old brown had been passed on to this old inhabitant by a friend of a friend of a friend or wherever it came from but Liu's being the keen occult detective that she is she does not dismiss this totally out of hand and she does say that while it could have originated in someone's too lively imagination it could really be one of those what she calls fire elementals of which advanced occultists tell us and again if there are any advanced occultists listening to this who can maybe shed some light on it if anyone has any experience of dealing with such fire elementals as usual please get in touch and let me know what you think or even if you're not an advanced occultist and you'd like to get in touch as always it's lovely to hear from people and i'm quite easy to track down online and on most social media platforms now we are nearing the end of this episode but we haven't quite finished with Plas Gwyn yet because there is also the account of a phantom horse just outside but Lewis also records other creepy tales of a horse-like nature a headless horseman the wild hunt and other such tales throughout Wales and so the tale of Plas Gwyn is as they say to be continued on our next Lewes episode, which will be very equestrian in nature. In its feel, we will look at all of those ghostly horse stories the next time we catch up with Lewes. And that'll be like bringing a little bit of, of Sleepy Hollow to Wales. We've done the Adams Family, next up is Sleepy Hollow. But we'll catch up with Lewes again in a few weeks. And as always, if you don't want to miss that episode or any episode ever please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode ever and on that note it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening dioch and varion am grando i've been mark race this has been my ghosts and folklore podcast it's the best it's the beautiful it is the only ghosts and folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales 
to the world. Until next time, Nostar. Star.